You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Good GP. My name is Christina Delange and I would like to begin today's episode by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which this recording is taking place and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. For me, I am recording on the lands of the Yagara people and the Good GP guest today, Dr. Alison Hartwell, is the Wurundjeri people. Now, in today's episode, we are going to be exploring non-invasive prenatal testing. And to help me with that, I am joined, as I mentioned, by Dr. Alison Archibald, who's a genetic counsellor at Victorian Clinical Genetic Services, or BCGS. And actually, it's a welcome back to the Good GP podcast, Alison, as we actually caught up earlier in the year to discuss reproductive genetic carrier screening. So great to have you back on the podcast today. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So, Alison, I wanted to start off by asking what exactly is non-invasive prenatal testing and what conditions can be tested or screened for with this particular type of test? Sure. So, uh, non-invasive prenatal testing or NIPT, uh, also sometimes called NIPS or non-invasive prenatal screening, uh, is basically a test that looks at small pieces of DNA um, and they're referred to as cell-free DNA. And they occur in the maternal blood of pregnant woman. So some of the cell-free DNA, and it's usually about 10%, comes from the outer layer of the placenta. And we refer to this as fetal DNA, and the remainder comes from the mother. So with NIPT, we're looking for evidence of chromosome conditions in the cell-free DNA. And this can be done from about 10 weeks gestation onwards. So some NIPTs look for the chromosome conditions that are common, like Down syndrome, which is also known as trisomy 21, as well as trisomy 18 and trisomy 30. Um, but it's also possible to look at the sex chromosomes, uh, which are X and Y, um, and they can determine fetal sex and can identify sex chromosome conditions. There are other NIPTs uh, known as genome-wide NIPTs, and they look at all the chromosomes. Um, so as you know, we have 23 pairs of chromosomes, or 46 in total. Um, and screening all the chromosomes means that a wider range of chromosome conditions can be identified. So that includes the common conditions and also rare. And the conditions that genome-wide NIPT can identify are caused by extra or missing copies of old chromosomes or parts of chromosomes. There are some other NIPTs that you may have heard of or may be familiar with that look for microdeletions, like the, like the 22Q11.2 microdeletion. But we're starting to see a shift away from that testing due to poor test performance and because it has a really high false positive rate. Thanks for that, Alison. And so who actually is suitable then to have NIPT or you know NIPS, as you mentioned? And I guess are there any limitations or things we need to consider, you know, extra counselling points in particular patient groups? Yes, and that's a really great question, and, and there are a few things to mention here. So first of all, um, professional society recommendations highlight that NIPT can be offered to all pregnant women, so it's something that anyone in early pregnancy can be offered. And um, what's really important for everyone to understand about NIPT is that it's a screening test. It's not diagnostic. And that means we can and we do get false positives and false negative results. And this is primarily because we are screening DNA that comes from the outer layer of the placenta, like I mentioned before, rather than from the fetus. So most of the time, the placental and the um, fetal chromosome complements are the same. But occasionally, you can get chromosome changes in the placenta, but they're not present in the fetus and vice versa. And that's what can contribute to false positive and false negative results. 
So that's why it's important that patients who get the result indicating an increased chance for a chromosome condition on NIPT are offered a diagnostic test like amniocentesis, which can put, confirm the chromosome condition is actually present in the fetus. Also really important for patients to understand that whilst it's very rare, false negative results do occur. And so really people need to know that NIPT is a very good screening test, but it's not perfect. So that's one key aspect that is really important to understand. It's also important to know what NIPT doesn't cover. So at this point, it doesn't detect genetic conditions caused by smaller changes in the DNA or um, single gene conditions like cystic fibrosis or Duchenne's dystrophy. And then there are also some cases where NIPT might be contraindicated in particular pregnancies. So these situations include protein demise, uh, triplets for higher order multiple pregnancies, if the mother has had a recent blood transfusion or if she has a known chromosome condition. Also, some women who have very high BMI or a history of autoimmune or inflammatory conditions uh, may not get an informative result. And in some cases that can be because in those women the proportion of the amount of fetal DNA can be lower than what we need to be confident in generating results. So if you've got patients that fall into those categories, it's really worth speaking to your NIPT provider before you offer the testing to the patient just to make sure you understand the considerations there and so you can convey those to the patient. Um, lastly, a really big one um, is that um, if the patient's had an ultrasound and there are fetal anomalies present on ultrasound, it's actually more appropriate to do a prenatal diagnostic procedure like a CVS or an amniocentesis than NIPT. And that's because NIPT is a screening test, as I mentioned. If you've got signs on ultrasound, you better just go straight to the diagnostic option. So those are some of the considerations that practitioners need to be aware of. Yeah, thanks, Alison. That's really useful. And I wanted to talk about the differences between NIPT versus what we've traditionally used for chromosomal screening in the combined first trimester screening. And I guess what the differences are in terms of, you know, accuracy, should all women be getting NIPT versus CFTS? Sometimes I hear women having the combined first trimester screening and then only going on to an NIPT if that's high risk, you know, and I guess if we are using NIPT instead of combined first trimester screening, is there still an indication to perform the tests involved in a combined first trimester screen at the same time? Yeah, so that's an excellent question and it's something I think practitioners have been grappling with ever since NIPT was first uh, introduced in Australia. So what's really important to understand is, you know, we have NIPT now and it's a really good screening test, but combined first trimester screening is, is still a good screening test. The sort of performance metrics are, st are still good. So it's definitely a good alternative if the cost of NIPT is prohibitive to patients, particularly given there's um, no Medicare rebate for NIPT. So, I mean, we need to understand that NIPT is a more advanced screening test. It's got higher sensitivity and lower specificity, but it doesn't provide exactly the same information as combined first trimester screening. And so that's why it's hard to think about, well, how do we actually incorporate that into our practice? Are we losing anything if we, if we don't offer combined screening? So what's generally agreed is that it's not helpful for patients to get two risk scores for chromosome conditions, one from NIPT and one from combined screening. So it's better not to do both. But what 
it's useful to know in regards to combined screening is that sometimes some of the levels of provide chemical markers can provide some useful information. For example, the PAP-A biomarker, which is pregnancy-associated plasma protein A, which is measured in combined screening, can reflect that um, placental function. And so very low PAP-A can be associated with placental insufficiency. So we do find that some specialists really like to see the biochemistry from combined screening results. The other um, really important aspect is that with combined screening, patients have the 12 to 13-week ultrasound, and that is a really important ultrasound to have. It um, measures the nuclear translucency and it looks at the fetal anatomy. So if patients are having NIPT, they should absolutely also be offered that ultrasound late in the first trimester. And we do regularly see cases where patients have had NIPT, but their practitioner hasn't offered them an ultrasound. And then there's been a missed opportunity for early detection of a fetal anomaly. So I really want to emphasize that point that that ultrasound is really important if you're having NIPT as well. Great. So a good take-home point there for our listeners, still order an ultrasound when you're doing, even when you're doing NIPT. Okay. Let's talk in a really practical sense. How would you actually explain and counsel a patient on NIPT, you know, the pros and cons of actually going ahead with this screening tool? So I think I've spent a lot of time working with and talking to GPs and I totally appreciate that GPs are very time poor and there's a lot to cover in an early pregnancy consultation. So before I go into what to cover in relation to NIPT, I just sort of wanted to mention that choosing an NOPT provider that provides really high-quality patient information and genetic counselling support will help you streamline the process of the NOPT. So it can then help to see your role as bringing you to start the conversation about prenatal screening and directing your patients to um, places where they can access the quality information. So there's a new resource that's just come out that might be really helpful. Um, and it's called Your Choice, and it's produced by Murdoch Children's Research Institute in James Cook University. And it's a decision aid that provides really good information about prenatal screening and helps people work through the considerations and decide what's right for them. Also, Down Syndrome Australia has some great resources on prenatal screening, both for patients and practitioners. So having those resources available to direct patients to will really help you. So then what to talk about in regards to NIPT. I think it's really important firstly to present NIPT as a choice. So we find that when testing becomes commonplace, it can become routinized. But with genetic screening, it's so important that people get to decide whether they want to have this testing or not. And that's because the screening provides information that can be really quite significant. So we explain to patients that NIPT is a screening test, um, that it will generate a result showing there's a high chance of a particular chromosome condition in their pregnancy or a low chance. And it can also be helpful to say that in some rare cases, a result might not be able to be generated and a sample recollect may be required. So it doesn't happen very often, but sample recollects do happen. And it's, it's nice when you are talking to patients about that, that they're a little bit prepared that that's a possibility. And it's also useful to explain that NIPT screens, this is if you're using a genome-wide approach, that NIPT screens all the chromosomes and can detect extra or missing copies of whole chromosomes or large parts of chromosomes. And it's helpful to talk about the type of impact that these conditions might have on a person and particularly to emphasise that the types of conditions that come up can vary. Because what we tend to see is that people going into the screening are thinking primarily about Down syndrome. But actually, 
there's a potential to get a lot more information from that. And people who do get an increased chance result for a different condition can be really unprepared for that result. And it can be an additional layer of stress getting information that they weren't expecting. So conveying that we're screening for a range of chromosome conditions, and that can vary from quite severe conditions to milder conditions like the sex chromosome conditions, for example. And then lastly, just explaining that if, if a patient's um, result does show that they have an increased chance for a chromosome condition, that they'll be referred for genetic counselling and they'll be offered diagnostic testing. So I think at that first stage where people are making a decision about testing, it's really important for them to know what the next steps are if they get a result that's sort of different to what they were expecting. Yeah, thanks, Alison. And I guess that is partly where I do find it tricky is sometimes, especially where I guess the clinical application or, or the phenotype can be so varying of various chromosomal abnormalities. And then you always fear that some people will kind of regret actually having found out that information. So the more informed someone can be going into the process, I guess, the better so that they you know, can make it as informed decision as, as possible for them. Yeah, that's right. And I think we do find that people want to engage with information pre-test to different levels. So some people really don't want to have that much engagement with making the decision. They've just sort of decided quite quickly that they're happy to have it. And that's kind of the way that they make decisions. Whereas when we look at other types of decision making, some people want to deliberate a lot more. And so I think it's just important that people get the opportunity to access the level of information they want. But at a very basic, straightforward level, people are aware that we're not just screening for Down syndrome. We're screening for a range of different conditions so that they know that there are a range of things that could come up. Okay. And in that situation where we do unfortunately get a high-risk result, what's the next step for us as the GP when we receive that result? What should we be discussing with the patient and, and what's, you know, what's the you know, referral pathway, I guess, from there? Yeah, so, I mean, this this is really where using an NIPT provider that provides a comprehensive service makes a big difference because if they include genetic counselling, then you'll probably get contacted by a genetic counsellor or a senior laboratory scientist to explain the result to you. So they'll give you a detailed interpretation of what the result means, which helps you when you're conveying that to your patient. Um, they may also provide patient fact sheets, which might help you as well in explaining that result. What we find really helps is when the practitioner has disclosed the result that they refer really promptly to genetic counselling so that patients aren't waiting and wondering or getting online and doing a lot of Googling because it can just really help to get that prompt access to the good quality information and support straight away. And that support is, can either be available through your NIPT provider or through a prenatal genetic service at a tertiary hospital. And cases are generally managed differently depending on what the increased chance result is. But the overall process is usually that once they're referred to genetics, usually we'll be asking, have they had an ultrasound recently or when all organise an ultrasound? And that will tell us if there are any signs of the condition on the ultrasound. If there are, then it makes sense to do a diagnostic test straight away if they're at an appropriate gestation. And so CBS or chorionic villus sampling is, is appropriate and that can be performed from around 11 to 12 weeks. If there are no signs of the condition on ultrasound, this doesn't rule out the condition, but an amniocentesis at around 15 to 16 weeks can give a more informative result. 
And that's because an amnio involves testing the fetal cells directly, whereas with a CVS, you're looking at placental cells. And remember, you know, Cowan said earlier that um, NOPT is also looking at placental cells. Um, so when there are no signs of the condition on ultrasound, amnio can tell if the fetus has the condition. And if the amnio result shows a normal chromosome complement, then that suggests what we call confined placental mosaicism. And that means that the chromosome condition is in the placenta and not the fetus. And that's one of the causes of false positive results. Um, so because we do get false positive NOPT results, it's really important that patients you know, seriously consider diagnostic testing after they get that result to really confirm that it is actually present. If the result is particularly complex, you can get quite complex NOPT results sometimes. If you have access to the laboratory scientists to analyse the result, they can be really helpful in assisting with result interpretation, particularly if they have specialised um, cytogenetics knowledge. Also, it's important to be aware that in some rare cases, the NIPT can provide information about the mother's health. So examples of that might be that the result might suggest a chromosome condition in the mother, or in very rare cases, we do sometimes identify maternal malignancy. And so that's where referral to genetics is also really important. I just also, I guess, want to emphasise in terms of managing the results, and I guess this comes from my perspective as a genetic counsellor, that receiving these results where we are suggesting um, there's an increased chance for a chromosome condition can be really stressful for patients, not surprisingly. And they do need emotional support during this time in addition to information and being linked in with the right services. So as genetic counsellors, we do spend quite a bit of time just talking with patients giving them the opportunity to debrief, talk about how they're feeling, express the concerns that they have. And we also find that some patients can really benefit from being referred to a psychologist to help them through the experience from that perspective as well. So really managing the increased chance results in IPT is about referring to genetic services and ensuring that there's good emotional, psychological support there for the patient and their partners as they go through that experience of understanding what the result means. Thanks, Alison. A lot of really important kind of take-home messages actually in that last question there. Unfortunately, though, that is all that we have time for on today's podcast episode. This is an evolving space, so it's really good to just have a sit down and get some clarity over a few of those points and and where things are at at the moment. I want to thank you for your time, Alison. We almost didn't make it today because of (laughs) time zone differences and torrential rain, so I apologize to our listeners if there was have any been any difficulties with sound today, Um, but it has been a really great discussion. I really appreciate your time and thank you again for joining me. Thanks so much for having me and um, we will include some links to those resources as well um, just um, so that you can access them. Yeah, thanks for the reminder, Alison. So check out the podcast notes that accompany this podcast and you'll be able to find those resources that Alison has referred to today. Thanks for listening to the Good GP Podcast, a proud member of the Talking Health Tech Podcast Network. Make sure you're subscribed on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you have any questions or would like to contact The Good GP, send an email to thegoodgp at gmail.com. The content of this podcast represents the opinions of The Good GP, hosts and guests of the show. The content is aimed at general practitioners working in the Australian context and is not intended to represent medical advice. Any listeners experiencing symptoms or who have concerns about their health should seek advice from a registered health professional. 
We make every effort to ensure that the information shared is accurate and up to date at the time of recording, but welcome any feedback or corrections. The content of this podcast is general in nature and does not refer to specific patient management. We recommend all health professionals review local and up-to-date guidelines prior to any clinical decisions.